listening to a Clovis Hills podcast, you're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. Morning church. How's everyone doing? Glad you guys are here. I want to say good morning to everyone, those that are uh, watching at our Old Town campus right now. Those of you that are watching, there's people out in the pavilion watching. I talked to a guy as I was walking out there and he's sitting on the couch watching on the TV. He goes, how come I didn't know about this place? This is the best seat in the house. So there's people out there. There's people in our venues right now. We're just glad you're all with us uh, wherever you're at. And those of you that are watching online, we're stoked we're with, you guys are with us. I already said, Old Town, don't you worry. You should listen. <laughs> that was Pastor Scott. If you're there, Pastor Scott, remind me to say good morning to Old Town, and I already did. I'll do it again, though. Good morning, Old Town. Oh, I, we got one more that's watching right now. We, that's right. You, yep, you got me. So we have, we call it our microsite, and there's a coffee shop here in town called The Mug, and they've been putting our live simulcasts on every Sunday morning. So if you want to go to our microsite at The Mug right now, it's just down uh, by Bobby Salazar's on Champlain. You can hang out there and have coffee. I know a bunch of you have volunteered to be the pastor there. So anyways, hey, welcome, Michael. Love you, man. So here's the deal. Um, man, I, was, I, I love what God has been doing I, I hated not meeting, but I love how God has been using the church. I don't know if you know, between our, food, our uh, distribution center at our Old Town campus and our ministry that we do at Kawa Elementary School, um, you know, we, we've been uh, ministering to some of, the, some of those that are in the deepest need in our community at this time. And in the last month, we've given away over two and a half tons of food, yeah. which has been an incredible thing. And that's you guys being the church. And it's a, it's a great thing. And I want to, one, I want to thank, thank you. Um, many of you who've, uh, you know, we're in an economic crisis right now. And uh, many of you have been able to continue in your giving. And you've, you, you're a blessing. And we thank you so much that you've continued in that. And it's because of that the gospel is able to go out. Um, not just in our city, but to the ends of the earth. And good deeds lead to good news. Amen? Amen. So, hey. Um, you know, this morning, I'm going to teach you, teach you out of uh, Luke chapter 15. And we're not going to have a scripture reader today because Luke chapter 15 is very long. And you'd be standing for a long time. And I watch your eyes glaze over every time I give you a really long scripture. It starts becoming words, words, words. But I'm going to tell you what's going on in Luke 15. And there will be some moments where we read from it, okay? Uh, for, for, the, for the sake of time as well. So... Um, we have, in, in Luke 15, Jesus is talking to two different groups of people. There's, um, there's this group of uh, Pharisees and rabbis and uh, kind of the religious elite of the time. And um, Jesus would have known them very well because he was a rabbi, he was a teacher. People, they, they followed him, they wanted to know what he was talking about. He spent time with them, he tried ministering to them. And then there was another group of people that um, typically Jesus spent a lot of time with as well too. And it was um, the tax collectors, the sinners, the outcasts, the lepers, those, those that were kind of on the outside. So the religious folk in that day, they were the people that were in power. They had money. They were kind of in the inn. They had the voice, um, the loudest voice in the, in the community, in the society. 
and the people without a voice. So Jesus hung out equally with both and he spent time equally with both. And that's the beauty of the gospel is that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. Can I get a, can I get a holla and amen on that one? We're all equal at the foot of the cross. And he spent time with both. And here's the interesting thing though, is, uh, you know, and I, I've been both. I've been the outsider and I'm, I'm a pastor now, right? So I'm, I'm kind of, the, the, relig- the religious side. In our culture today, um, let's be honest, um, the, the religious folk don't have the voice like we, like we used to. Now it's the um, secular society is the one that has the voice. They have the media. They have all that. So we've kind of taken a back seat. But here's what I want you to understand. Um, we, we've, at some point in our life, we've all been an outsider to another group. And at some point in our life, we've all been an insider and here's, here's what um, religious folk were super good at. And being that you're at church right now, you might be one of those people too. And it's point number one in the outline. If, you, if, you, if you're doing an outline, it's in the YouVersion Bible app. Go to live events and you can do that. But here's what I want you to know. See, Jesus welcomes. That's what Jesus does. He takes them all. White, black, Asian, Latino, rich, poor, middle class, Charger fan, Raider fan, Giants fan, Dodgers fan, even poor on the outside Padres fans. So listen, listen. He takes them all. Jesus welcomes. Religious people mutter. Go ahead, it got really quiet in here. Isn't that what religious folk do? We mutter a lot. It's too loud, it's too this, it's too that, it's too... That one of the beauties of um, doing church at home is no one could complain to our sound guy it was too loud. But anyways, um, the, 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 whole, the whole point I make is we tend to mutter, oh, look at that person, what are they doing there? How are they doing this? What? And, 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 and religious folk, at some point in your life, you start muttering. And Jesus catches them muttering because he's spending time with the sinner. He's spending time with the outsider and they start muttering. And in Luke chapter 15, verse one, I just want to read it to you. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Yeah, I remember... um, all the grief our church got from the religious community when we had the guitar player of corn here. And it was, oh, how could you do that? How could you do that? And I remember talking to a guy about it. And I said, well, I don't know if you know, but that day 28 people gave their life to Jesus. Five of them showed up at our Celebrate Recovery the next night. And, you know, so we don't like, we don't apologize for being the church that it takes all people in. And, it says they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with him. And then Jesus proceeded to tell three stories to this group of people that were muttering. And, you know, sinners and tax collectors were listening too. And he tells the story of the lost sheep. He says, suppose one of you has, um, you know, a, a, a herd of sheep and one gets lost. Would you not leave the 99 to go get the one? Right? He tells that one. And then he says, suppose you lost, a woman lost a coin of incredible worth. Would she not stop all that is important, all the things she has to do, the most important things that she has to do, would she not stop all of them and search the house and clear the house to find that coin of great worth? And then he tells the story of the lost son. 
And that's a, a famous story. We call it in, in our culture, the prodigal son. It really should be called the story of the, the good and gracious father. But um, we'll, I'll get into that in, in a moment. And there's re- really, um, you know, four other things I'm going to talk about today. If you're doing the outline, I'm going to talk about the family of God, the younger son, the father, the older son, and the true brother. Okay. So um, Jesus tells the story of the lost son. And uh, basically the story goes like this. Uh, this the youngest son of, of two comes to dad, says, hey, I want my share of the estate now, um, which is unheard of. You don't do that. You're basically, especially in a patriarchal society like ancient Middle East, that's saying, dad, I wish you were dead. I'm sick of living under your rules. I want to live by my own rules. I want to be autonomous. I want to make my own decisions. I want to do life my way. Any of you ever ran away from home? I ran away from home when I was seven once because I was sick of my dad's rules. And um, it got dark and I got hungry and I came right home. But anyways, this is what he does. So Jesus goes on to tell the story that he took, the father was, did something outrageous. He divided up his land. He divided up his herds. He sold them. Would have devastated him financially, devastated the family, put huge disgrace on the family to the whole community gives him the money, what it's worth, and the son goes off and he doesn't have to live under his father's rules anymore. So what he does, Jesus says, is he goes out and he squanders it all on wild living. If we were gonna translate that in 21st century um, English is the son took the money and went to Vegas for a long one. Wild living, right? Sex, drugs, rock and roll. He's out, out trying to find himself. He's saying, I'm tired of you, father, and your rules Some of them are okay, but some of them I don't like. I'm gonna go find my way. I'm gonna do it my way, okay? So then um, it says not long after that, he spent all his money and um, he kind of hits a rock bottom. He has to get a job as a hired servant, as a day laborer, and he's feeding pigs, a Jewish man feeding pigs. And not only is a Jewish man feeding pigs like rock bottom, it gets worse. This is how we know he's at his rock bottom. As he's feeding the pigs, he's looking at the slop and he's so hungry, he's thinking about eating the pig slop. A Jewish man who didn't even go near a pig, let alone eat a pig, which, oh man, that's a bummer. I'm so glad I'm a Gentile. But anyways, um, I rejoice in bacon. But here's the thing, Not, not, not only eat a pig, wouldn't touch a pig, and he's feeding a pig, and now he's so hungry, he would eat the food that the pigs are eating. See, he hit rock bottom. There's something about that that I want you to understand about how people change. Time and time again, I get people come to my office. They're like, oh, my, my son, my daughter, they're doing this, they're doing this. How do I get them to change? Or, oh, my husband or my wife, they're doing this. How do I get them to change? Oh, my mom and dad, they're doing this. How do I get them to change? And, um, you know, and with good intentions, we, we want to help people change. But I'm going to remind you again, people are not projects to be fixed. And, and, and you're just as broke as them. So um, <laughs> like you, you might wanna wait because here's what I've, I've learned in my 20 something years as a pastor, people don't change until they feel the heat, until it, until it hurts, until they've hit a bottom. And this is what happens to this guy, he hit his bottom. And he begins to like think about, you know, my dad's hired help, his day laborers, his servants, they all have food to eat and I'm here wanting to eat pig food. What am I doing? He's hit his bottom. He realizes 
I went out to discover myself and I discovered that I suck. I discovered that I am broken. I discovered that my way is not the right way. I, and he begins to think, I don't deserve to be called a son, but I could at least go back and be a, a servant in my father's house. So he, he decides to go home. He's practicing the speech. You know the speech, right? When you were going home and you knew you were gonna get in trouble going home, you already had some kind of speech you were giving mom and dad. His was, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I've sinned against you. I don't deserve to be called a child. Only let me be one of your servants. He's practicing that speech going home. And this is what I love about the father. The father, it says in, in Luke, is looking for him. He's searching for him. And it says while he was a long way off, the father saw him. Tractor beam, right? And and. It said that he, when he saw him, he didn't go, ha, 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 well, 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 here he comes. I get to have you migrate. I told you so, moment. He doesn't do that. It says that the father was searching. He was looking for the lost child. And when he saw the lost child, his heart broke. He had compassion on him. And it says that he ran to him. Now, I want you to understand something. In the ancient Middle East, fathers do not run. They're ahead of a house. They, they, you know, they, they, they don't do that. It's not dignified. In the Middle East, even today, um, dads don't run. It's a position of power. It's a position of dignity. When you watch Saudi royalty and they're walking with one of our presidents or dignitaries, they always walk with their hands behind their back very slowly, right? And they actually always purposely walk slower than our president, no matter what president it is. And every president I watch, they look super annoyed. They're like, hurry up, please. Come on, we get it. You're more important than me, whatever. But it's like a show of... But this father... In order to run after someone, one, he, you know, in, in that day, they wore the, these, these long gowns. He would have had to, you know, you, you, you can't just run with those things. Like, you know, you kind of weeble wobble till you, till you fall over, right? He would have had to hike the thing up over his knees and be incredibly undignified and look like a fool and go run into it, running to his child. And it says he runs to the son and um, he, he embraces him, he hugs him. And in the literal Greek, it says that he falls upon his neck with kisses. Here's what I want you to know right now. We live in a world that is dying for the kisses of the Father. And here's what I mean by that. We, we live in a world that is dying to feel the love of God and they don't even know it. They're reaching out for anything they can get. We are, even. That might give us a moment of happiness, a moment of solace, a moment of peace, a moment of anything, whether it's a relationship or money or some cause or whatever it is. We're reaching out for these things, trying to, to feel better about ourselves. when the truth of the matter is the thing we need most is the love of the Father. And we're destroying each other because of the deficit of kisses from the Father. So, the son, right? Father, I've sinned it. And the father, the father won't even let him finish. He says, he doesn't even let him give his speech, his I'm sorry speech. He, he, he knows he's sorry. And he just says, quick, bring me my ring. Bring me a robe. Kill the fattened calf. By the way, the fattened calf, when you killed the fattened calf, that was signifying we're gonna have a massive party. We're inviting the whole village 
typically the fattened calf was saved for, a, for the one moment in your life and it was usually your wedding. And that fattened calf actually would have been the older brother's fattened calf. But the father says, quick, get the fattened calf, kill it, get him a ring, get him a robe, we're gonna party. My son was lost, but now he's found. And they throw this party for him. Meanwhile, the story says that um, the older brother, the oldest brother comes home and he hears the party and he's like, what's going on? And the servant comes out and he says, well, your brother, you remember your brother? Um, that, you know, he, he's home. He came home and, and your dad threw a giant party for him. Him. And here, here's, here's what uh, verse 28 and 29, Mike, it's in point five. I want to read it to you. Verse 28 and 29, it says this. The older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered, Father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, parents, you ever do that? I get that sometimes, my wife. Do you know what your son did? Do you know what your daughter did? Do you know what your dog did, right? It's not my child when they misbehave. I'm perfect, but anyways. When this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. So, so here, here's what I, I want you to understand what's going on here. In uh, this culture that, that Jesus is telling the story to, the, um, when you, it, it's, it's a shame and honor culture. It's a patriarchal culture. Um, when in the Middle East, when someone throws a party and you're invited and you decide not to come, it's an insult. When your father throws a party and you're the oldest son, you are required to come. You're supposed to come. And the fact that the older son would not come to the party, he was also giving some sign language that is one-fingered to his father. And he is shaming his father. He's shaming his family. He's letting the whole community know, I'm not having it. Uh-uh. I don't care if it shames my father. I don't care if it shames my brother. I don't care if it shames my, fa my family. I'm not going. And then typically in that culture, when either son, when the younger son or the older son would do something like that, the father had every right to just say, you know what, go out and stone him. And I'm not talking about the California kind people. I'm talking about the Middle Eastern kind with rocks, okay? But it doesn't say that. Jesus says that this father comes out and he goes out and he pleads with the older brother who is shaming him, who is not listening to him and he pleads with him to come into the party. And here's the interesting thing. Jesus leaves the story open-ended. We don't know if the older brothers come to the party or not because he's left the decision up to the mutterers. You gonna come to the party or what? So there's a couple things in here I wanna get to though because I think it's pertinent to where we're at today. Um, one, this older brother, you, you know, there's a couple ways you, Jesus, in this story, Jesus can, tells us how, of how we can be lost. You can be utterly lost, right, by trying to do it on your own, your own way. Like, I'm tired of the Father's rules. Um, God, your rules are fine, but some of them I don't like, so I'm gonna go discover myself. I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna live my, my, my life the way I want to, um, and I'm gonna, you know, 
what, what the Bible says, that's great, but whatever, I'm gonna do it my way. And you can be utterly lost doing it that way. Most of us call that college, okay? So, that's one way of being lost, right? Sex, drugs, rock and roll, self-exploration, all, all of that. And you see that in our culture. But what Jesus is saying is there's a whole nother way of being lost, and most of us don't even know it. See, the older brother stayed home. The older brother followed the rules. The older brother did what was right. But see, Timothy Keller um, wrote a book called The Prodigal God about 15 years ago. I heard him preach on it and it's haunted me ever since. Because in my life, I started as like the prodigal son, right? I was out sinning, doing my thing, you know, living apart from God, doing whatever. But some, at some point in my faith, I became more like the older brother where I stayed home, I followed all the rules, I did everything. And here's, here's, here's what he points out, is that you can be just as equally lost staying home because you don't want a relationship with the father, you just want the father's stuff. And that haunted me. It still haunts me. See, because in our churches all over the world, in America today, we have people that are attending, they're in a growth group, they're studying the Bible, they're tithing, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't chew, they don't run with people that do, they don't do all those things. But they're lost because there's no relationship with the Father. They just want the Father's blessing. In the same way, the younger son wanted the kingdom without the king, right? He wanted the father's blessings without the father's rules. This son wanted the father's blessings and I'll follow the father's rules so I can get the father's blessings. But obviously he didn't care much about the father and the father's agenda for the whole family. And Jesus is telling this story. But there's one other thing in this story I think that stands out to us today that I think we could all learn from. Um, because the older brother does something that all of us do, that all humans do. Do you notice he says, when this son of yours comes home after squandering everything on prostitutes, he, he doesn't say his name, he doesn't look at him, he doesn't point him out, he's made a character of him. For one, he doesn't even know what that son did with the money, he just knows he's come home. He was lost. He may have heard rumors of what the son did. Just like you guys hear rumors all over social media of what people do and what people believe and what people say. And we end up making characters of people. We paint groups as two-dimensional instead of three-dimensional. We do it with races. We do it with socioeconomic groups. We do it with political groups. We do it, and, and it's what human beings love to do, is we love to create camps, and I'm in this camp, and therefore you're in, and these people are in this camp, so we are at odds. I'm white, you're black. I'm Mexican, you're Asian. I'm liberal, you're conservative. I'm conservative, you're liberal. I'm for the Chargers, you're for the Raiders. We put people in camps all the time. And here's what happens is we end up painting them as two-dimensional beings. And we make characters of them that, oh, well, all liberal people are like this. All white people are like this. All black people are like this. And we make them two-dimensional, and here's what we're doing, is one, we're sinning, because God made humans in his image, 3D. Now, here's what I want you to understand. God made every person in his image, so here's what that means, is you look just like your daddy. 
You do. Look at your neighbor and tell him, you look like your daddy. So, see, the problem with human beings and all of us, because here's the deal. My guess is most, most people in this room today um, are not racist and we would never consider most of you wouldn't consider yourself a racist. Um, I don't consider myself one. But I know in my life, I have been racially insensitive, right? And I'm sure I've said things that were racially insensitive. And you can be any race and say something racially insensitive. I have painted groups of people in one corner that they're this way. So it made me feel better about myself. Oh, I'm this way and they're this way, which makes me feel better about myself. We do it as humans, not even knowing it, to be honest. We all have those kind of biases. And the reason we do is because the Bible said we were all born with sin in our hearts. See, the truth of the matter is we're all sinners separated from God. God made us in his image. He made us all on the same level. But what happened is when sin entered the world, we started creating camps, different groups. We started casting anxiety on other groups and it's been done throughout history. And do you know what the problem with sin is? It's got I in the middle of it. See, all of us sin. And because we've been separated from God, the image of God in us has been marred. And then when we make people two-dimensional, like we do on social media, like we do on television, like we do when we're talking about groups we don't like, we're marring the image of God in them too. So, I want want you to understand something. Um, When you become a Christian, you have to understand this. The adjective describes the noun. The adjective does not take precedent over the noun. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. When you become a Christian, that becomes your first identity. That's the noun. So if you are a black Christian, that's adjective. If you are a white Christian, that's an adjective. If you are a Asian Christian, a Latino Christian, if you're a mixed race Christian, if you are a... um, a, a liberal Christian, a conservative Christian, a Raider fan Christian, a Charger fan Christian. Uh, just go down the line, pick anything. The adjective is just a describer of the noun. And the problem in our culture, the problem in our world is we're all caught up on the adjectives. We're all worried about the adjectives. And what happens is we, we say, I'm with this group. And if I don't have the same narrative as this group, then everyone on the outside of this group is wrong. And I want you to understand something. You're making them all two-dimensional and you're no worse than, you're no better than the racist. You're doing the exact same thing. You're, we're marring the image of God in people. See, the older brother was just as lost staying home and he had no idea he was doing it. That's why it says in, in Matthew 7, 21 through 24, I hope I have it marked still. Jesus said this, I thought this was, was pretty, pretty, pretty powerful. He says, not everyone says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we, did we not prophesy in your name? 
and, and in, your, in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles. And then I'll tell them plainly, I, I never knew you. See, we can be as equally lost staying home. But I'm gonna let you in on some good news. And I got two minutes to do it, which I'll probably take four. So here's the deal. Just letting you know if you're getting hungry. Um, so in that culture, the way it was supposed to work, if the younger brother left and he dishonored the family and he devastated the family financially and, and, and the, 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 the village all saw it and they were, there was shame put on the family, the true older brother would do anything because it's a shame and honor culture. The, the true older brother would do anything. He would leave everything, all that is important, the most important things of the day, he would have set it aside and he would have left to go get his younger brother and beg him and compel him and drag him home to bring honor back to the family, to bring honor back to the father. He would have done anything to bring that lost son home. And I'm gonna let you in on some really good news. See, the Bible tells us that at one point, We've all been the prodigal. We've all walked away from God. We've all, our sin is separated from God. And Jesus, the true older brother, left heaven and earth. He left the side of the Father to come find you and bring you home. Because he knew that the Father was good and gracious. He knew that the Father would receive you with welcome arms. He knew the Father would never give you I, I told you so speech. He left everything to come get you. And the Bible says this, that if you will receive Jesus, if you will, you will believe in Jesus, the Bible says that you'll be saved. The Bible says that, but as many as received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. That you get to become a son, a daughter of God. You get to come to your true home with God when you receive him. The thing is, you've got to make that decision. Why would you put it off? So at Clovis Hills, in our different locations and different rooms where we're all meeting, we use kind of a, a, a central thing to kind of help people signify that they're coming home. We use a light bulb. Whenever someone makes that decision to follow Jesus, we give them a light bulb and a Bible. And uh, we have different, you know, we have like, like in this room, we have these welcome home signs. You can screw in the light bulb or, and um, it lights up and it's just a way to remind you that you're home, that the Father has taken you in. And as a church, here's the thing. Whenever you make that decision, we always want people to do it publicly. The, the coolest part about this church in whatever venue you're in those that belong to Jesus, we know better. We know that's the greatest decision you ever made and we cheer you on like you won the Super Bowl because it's your moment. We know it's your moment. So it, we're, gonna, we're gonna pray and I, I wanna give you an opportunity. If you don't know where you stand with God, you can know for sure and you can receive Christ. For some of you, you know you're a believer, you know you're a Christian, you have Jesus living in you, you're forgiven of your sins, but maybe um, you've moved into your older brotherness and you've been making people characters of the image of God they were made in. You've been getting in camps and that's been your primary identity. When your primary identity is that you are a son and daughter of the living God. You're one of God's people. And the other camps are adjectives to who you really are. So for some of you, maybe this morning is just a time of coming home to that as the older brother. Maybe it's your turn to come to the party 
Because at Clovis Hills, we're gonna be a place that throws parties for sinners. That's who we are. We throw parties for lost sons and daughters. And we beg the older brothers and sisters to come to the party. So let's pray.